You know, before it used to be like, yeah, we use friends, we hang on, we jump rope. And then you hit this certain point and all of a sudden it's like, my goodness, I feel like I want to shag some of these people. <laughs> you know, how do I deal with that? How do I make them want to shag me? You know, it's like, so your body's changing, your mind is changing. Mm -hmm. And as a result, your personality comes into question. And there's mm -hmm. a whole lot of, of uncertainty involved in that. Who and, am I? Right. And Soji is right there. Hi, this is Stephanie Watson, also known as Jacori. Welcome to Gen X Replay's After the Show podcast, where a guest and I discuss the spoiler-heavy details of a TV show or movie that we've just indulged in. In this episode, Hoot joins me again as we cover Episode 7 of the new series Star Trek Picard on CBS All Access. Hi, this is Jacori. And I am Hoot. And we are back talking Star Trek Picard now on episode seven. It seems to be going by so fast. <laughs> it's really hard to think that uh, we just started this, but yet have had all these episodes in between. There's so much story that's being told. How are you feeling about this episode? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was an awesome episode. I mean, I mean I'm kind of biased, but I, I thought it was... <laughs> I thought it was really neat. There was a lot in it that was uh, natural, I guess. I don't know. It, it, like a lot of things, it's kind of added uh, the what if. It, it's fleshed out the what ifs of the mm. end of that, you know, from Nemesis on. Right, right. It's um, filling in a lot of details of familiar characters and situations. Yeah. Just sort of a natural progression about, well, what did they go on to do after that? Well, what did they, you know... <laughs> <laughs> now we got a little bit more information. Yeah. Well, that and I feel like they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't spoon feed us with the, you know, hi, I haven't seen you in forever. What have you been doing? Well, let's see. Since I last saw you, it's, you know, and, and then fill in the blanks. It, it's mm -hmm. more like, it's more like characters with history. Yeah. And they had know? a reason to be there, you know, because they're trusted people. Yeah, so I mean, there was just a lot there that was like, it just felt like a very natural progression to me. Yeah, yeah. It, we start with a flashback to three weeks ago, according to what it says. Three weeks prior to current in the series. So it's clear that their mission, the length of time that they've been away, is less than three weeks at this point. Um, I don't know if it's been a week, maybe, maybe a week. Uh, hard to tell. No, we'd have to say, I mean, based on who... A couple weeks. Yeah, who she was talking to, it's been at least three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Since they set out on the mission. Yeah, right. At least three weeks since they set out on the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense. You know, it takes a lot of time. You know, it is warp speeds, but it still takes time to get from one place to another in mm -hmm. the galaxy, so... Yeah. There's that. And they've already been, like, three different places and had some... Quite some adventures already before arriving at the reclamation. And like the doctor, you know, it makes sense why she's, I mean, we, well, we we know from prior episodes and other things going on why she's acting some of the ways that she's acting. Mm -hmm. But it also plays into the idea of she's never left Earth before and this is her first trip off planet. Mm -hmm. So she's going to be jittery. She might be getting space happy. You know, there's, mm -hmm. you know, the things that we don't think about because we've seen these characters traveling through space forever all the time. You right. know, it's like, oh, it's no big deal. They're raised 
they they go to school for this. They're accustomed to it. They're trained for it, you mm-hmm. know, that sort of thing. And now she's, oh, first trip off planet. So it makes sense, like, things that seem obvious to us looking at her character and her motivations mm-hmm. wouldn't seem obvious to the characters she's interacting with. Right. Her interactions with them might be like, yeah, listen, we need to keep an eye on her. I think she's... I think she's starting to wig out. She she's she's been she hasn't been under artificial gravity for long and she's starting mm-hmm. to act a little funny. Yeah. You know, so there's there's reasons for actions, in other mm-hmm. words, you know. It's not yeah. It's not shoehorned. But we we open with Commodore O actually finding Gerani having her lunch, I guess, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um and of course, we know Commodore O is the well, one. Well, no, she might have visited her in Japan. Isn't the Daystrom Institute in I thought that she had gone to San Francisco prior to the... Oh, maybe. Oh, you might be right. You might be right. But, I mean, everyone's got transporters. It's hard to know. Right, right. She's on a beautiful cliffside that could very well have been on either side of the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) Or out in the middle of nowhere. We don't really know where she is. Right, like she might take take her lunch breaks on Easter Island or something. (laughs) We don't know. Once you've got the ability to transport anywhere (laughs) on the planet. Somewhere on the planet. And, uh, and, And so O finds her and... It uses a Vulcan mind meld to show her what will happen if synths exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least what is in Commodore O's mind of what will happen. Yeah. Uh, we're not even sure, like, what's real there. You know, is this something O has seen in some form or fashion? Or is this projections that she's got from someone else of what could happen or because some of the flashes were of the attack on mars there was just a couple of scenes that looked familiar from that flashback in episode Mm -hmm. two but then others were like what is going on there i have no idea uh did anything catch your eye in those little flashes i don't know there was a whole lot going on Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was definitely, it seemed like they, they flashed back to elements of the attack on Mars from 14 years earlier and definitely seemed like they were predicting the future. Mm-hmm. Um, what hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the just it drew to my mind just like, where are they getting these images from? Because right. now, right. now with O, I mean, she can Vulcan mind meld. Uh, clearly. So... Is she actually a Vulcan? Like, the, the, the concept we had before is that maybe she was a Romulan that was disguised as a Vulcan, but Possibly. she can mind meld. Right. And there hasn't really... But then again, the Romulans are so secretive, maybe they can mind meld too. She is showing the stoati- stoicism that is characteristic of Vulcan culture. Yeah. Because uh, she doesn't react emotionally to pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just very... Um, Intense. Intense, yeah. Intense is a great word for it. <laughs> so uh, she's intense, but she's not emotional, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. But, you know, so now we see a little more of that, the doctor's motivation, mm-hmm. which makes her, you know, going space happy even more, makes more sense, because in addition to all the oh, other stresses yeah. of never being in zero G, eating mm-hmm. ship food on ships, Traveling at warp for the first time, seeing mm. other planets for the first time, you know. And then having to pull the plug on her 
Yeah, long time love. And yeah. So there, there's, yeah. there's a lot going on with her character that's definitely not the sort of you know school mom persona that we were given in uh, the first episode or two. For real. <laughs> you know? the, the innocent little scientist character. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, o made her chew a tracker. I'm guessing this is some type of radioactive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Seems like. Uh, it gives off a very specific signature, clearly. And uh, so now we know that we know what Gerardi saw, and she, we know that she has some type of tracking device in her, which sets up the, the scenes later. Uh, La Serena is stuck in a tractor beam at the cube. That's a, <laughs> We open with them trying to pull out of this tractor beam. <laughs> mm-hmm. A um, Borg tractor beam, too. Borg, That's the... yeah. Yeah, ain't no wimpy Romulan tractor beam. You know, this is the whole power of a cube mm-hmm. holding them in place. Gerardi's freaking out and saying, just tell them that we want to go home. Which, in that particular case, if they find out Gerardi's on the ship, then they know she's being tracked. Uh, at least the Jacques Vosch know that she's being tracked. Well, I mean, they're the ones tracking her. Exactly. So they would let the ship go so that the ship can go where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it makes sense both that Gerardi would say this because she's freaking out, but also because O has given her this mission of sorts to try to lead them to Picard and lead them to the synth. So. Mm-hmm. And the synth home world. Mm-hmm. If, you know... Which, that's the other thing, too, that's kind of, to me, though, that is one of the things that I'm like, okay, she was built there. That doesn't mean all synths were built there. Exactly. Exactly. You know. um, But she and her sister would have been. Yeah. And obviously, they're far more advanced models than the Sung-type androids that we've seen in the past. Exactly. The the androids that led the revolt. Which, going back. Yeah, and going back to Next Generation, we knew that that was Maddox's vision. Like yeah, to, was to create to, an army of datas. Yeah, like, um, and to kind of one up the model to be more human-like in their responses um, mm-hmm. as well. So, and if you can make your army more human, <laughs> you can use emotion as part of the process of getting them to be loyal and getting them to respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond just the artificial intelligence uh, or, or, logic. Or, or the logic intelligence. So you, you have a combination of the artificial intelligence and the logic intelligence. Kinda. Well, it yeah. was like with um, part of the big motivation for all of this, Picard's mm-hmm. guilt over the death of Data. Yeah. You know. Um, it's just driving him to be out there. As Data, you know, like in Nemesis, there was no logic to Data sacrificing himself for Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, something I want to bring up later um, so. um, has to do with, like, why Dodge was, um, or maybe we can just talk about it now, why why was Dodge given the image of Picard and the motivation to go find him, whereas Soji has no knowledge of Picard and did not have that uh, from, I, I suppose the mom AI was the key to that mm-hmm. um and if soji wasn't interacting with the mom ai because she distrusted it uh then she wouldn't have gotten that message or did she not have that message maybe she didn't have it maybe it's 
deeper in the subroutine somewhere. Maybe the, mm-hmm. the fact that she was discovering more about herself. You know, like, like with Dodge, it was like, you know, up until the, they attacked her in her apartment and killed her boyfriend, she thought she was a human. Mm-hmm. And then realized, wait a second, humans can't just wipe out a hit squad reflexively. Yeah. You know, humans don't know how to instinctively hack data systems so they can cover their tracks or find <laughs> somebody. Yeah. And that fast. <laughs> yeah. And it was all still in there. Like she yeah. found Picard, which apparently required security clearances to be able to look him up. Yeah. Because he is a Starfleet admiral and there's a lot mm-hmm. in his head that they don't need getting uh, getting out of control if, you know, if every s- screaming fanboy could just look his address up and show up at Chateau Picard, they'd trample all the grapes down. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so it makes sense that, he, A, that he is protected, but B, that she was able to find him as quickly as she was. Right. Was just, uh, you know, it, it's it's like a level of, of ability. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, hey, Data, hack the computer system. You know, well, it'll take me a few you know minutes, you know, to do that, even mm-hmm. though it's something he's never seen before. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. You know, but he still has the ability to, to suss all that out. So mm-hmm. she does too, apparently, to an even greater degree. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so so as far as Dodge having that, you know, it, it may have just been that she wasn't activated because of how she was activated. Right. Or, or, or yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because yeah, of I'm... how she was activated, that subroutine may have kicked in. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, in Soji's case... Yeah, she was activated in a very different way. And he was, and she was already self-aware. She was already growing into the awareness of what she was mm. before she was activated. So she already distrusted the mom AI. She distrusted everything she knew about herself. Mm-hmm. So to suddenly yeah. have these abilities and suddenly have, you know, that would just be a next, a, a new step along her course of self-discovery as Mm -hmm. opposed to being a thrown in the deep end sink or swim scenario that dodge was in all right uh we first um see hugh being interrogated by rizzo and her forces um who then orders the execution of the xbs in front of hugh in an attempt to interrogate him it's clear she doesn't want to kill him because she needs um she needs an ex-Borg to unlock the the Queen's Chamber. Is well, but she doesn't know that. Uh, I think she figured that out, though. But but she... Because we when we first see Hugh, he's even talking about that. But well, but also she couldn't kill him because he was protected by the Federation. Mm-hmm. He, he may oh, have been there as a the reclamation project, yeah. but he was apparently still a Federation envoy. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, she did say that. She, she say couldn't that. kill him because it would violate a treaty. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, he does something to violate the treaty first. Right, right. So, you know, which plays in there later. But she, you know, so she's... She needs him, and she knows she needs him. But then also th- that extra layer of, of the treaty mm-hmm. stops her initially. Um, I, I wonder when she said that, if she used the treaty line as an excuse to stop her own hand because she knew she needed him for more than that. Mm-hmm. But he, yeah, she has her people just sit there and execute the XBs and, oh, just Hugh is torn apart. I mean, these are like children to him because mm-hmm. he has been through the process of 
reclaiming them back to their own lives um, and, and trying to turn them into the same kind of productive uh, ex-Borg that he is. Um, it's going to be a long journey for them, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wants to see them be as successful as he was. Well, because also, at, at least in this iteration, with this cube, with this, you know, like I said, in Voyager, and, and obviously Voyager is a reference mm-hmm. based on what we saw last episode with the trajector, the spatial trajector. Spatial trajector. That was something right. from a board, or that was a, that was something from a Voyager episode. Mm-hmm. That technology existing was from a Voyager episode, so we know that plays in. So right. we know that certain things that have happened in Voyager could happen, like the, the Borg cube that was disabled and then turned into their own sort of self-contained collective. They were still linked mentally, but they were no longer linked to the Borg hive mind. Mm-hmm. But And so they actually reclaimed memories. Right. But in the case of Hugh, like I don't think he really remembers where he came from or what species he was assimilated from right. or what his home planet might even be. You know, for him, it's like being a newborn. Mm-hmm. And so for these these the XBs, at least at this point, the out the illusion would seem to be that they are also essentially newborns. They yeah. they remember their time with the collective, but they don't mm-hmm. remember their home worlds or their parents or where they came from. So it gives him almost like a parental type of role in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and he definitely cares deeply for them. And the performance, uh, Jonathan Del Arco's performance as Hugh, just was wonderful there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could just see the pain. And, you know, it harkens back as well to Seven's pain, seeing, you know, having to let go of each ebb who had been tortured as well from mm-hmm. the earlier episode. Uh, but at that point, Elnor um, comes in, starts killing off people in his, you know, Elnor way, his Kuat-Malat way mm-hmm. <laughs> with his uh, with his sword. He's he's pretty incredible. They, they've done a really good job, like, turning him into that uh, samurai slash assassin type character for mm-hmm. sure uh but um rizzo immediately recognizes uh him as Kawat malat mm-hmm. uh and you know she she doesn't even question the fact that it's a guy she just sees the fighting style and what's what he's going through mm-hmm. uh so it's interesting that uh she then challenges him by saying, you know, the Jatvash and Kuat Malat, this, that's not the way that they would fight. She puts her pistol in, her, in the holster. He puts his sword uh, away in response, trying to be the honorable warrior, yeah, I, I guess. Say, apparently nobody ever taught him not to trust Romulus. Exactly. You know, like we all right? we all knew she was gonna get sneaky with the fight, but for some reason he didn't think she would. I guess, right? Or maybe he anticipated it, but not well right. enough. But exactly, and so they they proceed uh, to do hand to hand combat. At which point she pulls out throwing knives mm-hmm. and takes the opportunity when Hugh looks around the corner of throwing one at Hugh, hitting him right there, right in the neck, right in the neck. Um, that was just awful. How did Elnor get out of that? He 
he threw the knife back at her. But she transported She transported away. out. Yeah. Um, and the, so now Elnor is with Hugh at that point, and Hugh is in bad situation. Bad shape. <laughs> bad shape. He's in bad shape. Yep. Of course, Narek uh, at that time starts following La Serena. So La Serena is let out of its tractor beam. Uh, Rafi is convinced it's a trap. And, <laughs> and that's when it's like, well, it may be a trap, but let's see if we can outrun them. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yep. And then we end up seeing where Picard and Soji ended up. At a planet called Nepenthe. And uh, so we see them transport in. And there's this young archer pointing an arrow at them. <laughs> but Picard seems completely um, uh, unaffected by this. <laughs> Nonplussed. <laughs> Nonplussed at all. He's, he just uh, calmly lets her approach. And then calls her Kestra. So it's clear he knows who this is. <laughs> and then she turns into normal teenager mode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, she is. Uh, she's interesting. She calls herself a pacifist and says she wants to shoot them, but she says her arrows are will uh, are real. And um, and Picard just asks her to uh, lead them to her parents. Um, at which point, uh, somewhere in there, she recognizes who she's talking to. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they start uh, heading uh, toward the house, and that's when uh, that's when we find out that she is the daughter of uh, Will Riker and Deanna Troy. Oh, that was just wonderful. What was your reactions? Oh, I mean, I you know I'd seen the trailers, and mm-hmm. so I mean, you knew, we all knew it was we coming, knew, but yeah, it was yeah. uh, I don't know. And and this will play into the conversation later too, as far as their their characters. Like the last time we saw the two of them together in mm-hmm. Nemesis. You know, was uh, well. There was you know Will and Deanna's wedding right yeah. bef- at the beginning of the movie, and then at the end of the movie, R- Riker and Deanna leave. Deanna leaving f- for the Titan. Right. And you know the the you know it's been an honor serving with you, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the honor is mine. You know, but they're still very formal, very you know, uh, very very captain and commander. You know, yeah, or captain and sub captain. You know, I mean mm-hmm. they're. And and while we've seen elements of brevity and friendship throughout the series, it's always still been a there's still been a professional yeah uh, courtesy a professional level there right right but that was not the case with their interactions here mm-hmm. like their it was interactions like an old here friends right old friends that have you know yeah we used to work together now mm. and then we went to do our own things and we kept in touch you know mm. and now and so but they're, they're just the relationship between the characters the way they talk to each other the way they addressed each other the fact that will slapped flour all over him <laughs> it was like following the flour on his hands and he like you know slaps um, his back when he's uh, claps the the back of picard when he he hugs him and i'm just you like know, and very much the way their conversations unfold mm-hmm throughout the rest of the show is you know it's no longer a captain talking to his subordinate all right Right. It's two <laughs> two old war heroes that have, you know, both they've both been to the city to see the elephant. <laughs> they they've both, you know, 
they, they, they're, they're more on equal footing. Yeah. And as a result, they're friends. Yeah. They're not commander and, and captain anymore. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, they're very much just old friends. There's still a professional respect between them. You can get that sense. But at the same time, they're willing to be a lot more open, uh, relaxed, frank with each other. Um, right. Because there's no, there's no barrier between them, professional barrier. Now. There's there's no level of insubordination. Right, exactly. They're kind of talking to each other on equal level. Um, we do find out later that Will is on active reserve. Active reserve, yeah. Uh, which you were saying you think that might come into yeah, play. Yeah, no, later. we're never. That's never. That's not going to come back into play. I'm sure. <laughs> you should probably go talk to Starfleet. Yeah, I probably should, but I'm not going to do that right now. But if only I knew somebody who was still in Starfleet that could help. It's like, oh, well, maybe. I don't know. That's, that's a tough call. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're, we're going to see that again. I'm certain. Uh-huh. There's also a Captain Crandall somewhere there on Nepenthe. Uh, we don't know Captain Crandall, but um, Kestra certainly has a fun relationship, a texting relationship with Captain Crandall. Mm-hmm. I, I, he's probably the... Um, the old man who knows all the stories and she goes to listen to all the stories. That's how I picture it anyway. Right. <laughs> that, that old man down the street that's just going to tell you all the stories. Tell you his war stories. <laughs> he was a merchant marine. He, you know, something. We don't know what his background is, yeah, obviously. Yeah, we don't know. But other background. than the fact that he's got, apparently he's got a very in-depth navigational database. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And um, then... And uh, which comes into play because when Soji does finally share uh, what she saw in her meditative vision and in her dream, uh, Kester is able to get that information from Captain Grandel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now they know their next destination. Well, and I also I also liked the interaction between Picard and Deanna. Mm-hmm. That was a lot reminiscent of their older relationship. Right? Well, because, I mean, because for technically she was in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. I mean, and she did ultimately attain the rank of commander in the episode, in the series. Yes. You know, so she did have command authority. But she was still more of a civilian contractor than a Starfleet officer mm. for the most part. So she could tell the captain, you know, you're being a, you're being a jerk. Uh, yeah. And he might scold her for it, but mm-hmm. he couldn't really reprimand her for it through the chain of command mm. in the old days. Mm-hmm. You know, at least maybe not until she, unless she was on official bridge duty. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she's the ship's counselor, so she's more like a civilian liaison than mm. than a than an officer. Mm-hmm. Um, in their at least in most of their interactions. Right. So now it's more like like she's been his conscience. Mm-hmm. She has. For so long. Yep. That now she can be his conscience, but she can also still be his friend. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not her captain anymore. Mm-hmm. So as a result, she can be more honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Same, same as Will. As Deanna can now be honest and, uh, you know, the frankness, uh, the openness... You know, with no hesitation. Mm-hmm. 
uh, or no apologies or no ask permission first. Look, you're, sta- <laughs> you're standing on my lawn. If anybody steps out of bounds around here, it's you. <laughs> but she you know, will, like... yeah, she and Will <laughs> like... both welcome him to stay as long as he needs. I mean, they don't seem in any way intimidated by the fact that he's probably being followed. <laughs> of course, Will's got defenses on the house. Like the first thing he does once he knows that Picard's being pursued, he raises shields. Like, I mean, I never thought when you walked in a, a someone's house on a nice, like, woodsy planet that one of the first things you would hear is them saying, shields up. Right. So he's got a shield and a perimeter. Perimeter, yeah. Established, uh-huh. which is, you know, so he's still a military man. And a cloaking scanner. And a cloaking scanner. Wow. Yes. Well, plus they had the little, you know, little, uh... We're having trouble with the Zindi, you know, uh-huh. that, that there are, you know, apparently they've got some neighbors that they're not getting along with well. But uh-huh. once again, that's the thing about this planet. And, and it's one of the things I feel like is being fleshed out slowly is, is you know, the people talking about how, you know, some people, at least, I see it on the internet more than I hear it in discussions. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, this isn't the vision. This isn't Star Trek. This is blah, blah, blah. This Federation was the perfect utopia, blah, blah. It's like, well, how do you know? How do you know? The only time she ever it. saw it were on their ship yeah. or on colonies that were usually in trouble for a reason and needed the ship's help. Right. You know, um, so... It, what is the word for that where you only have one character's point of view? Uh, I'm not sure, but it, it's more like... It's more like like Star Trek, the old, the original series. Star mm-hmm. Trek The Next Generation. Even Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which got into some dark places. Mm-hmm. But you're still seeing it from this one cruise principally this one crew's point of view. Right. So the conflict comes into how does this crew work together to solve things? And there's a reason why it's the flagship. You have the best of the best aboard. So in other words, Mm -hmm. like the next generation, the Enterprise, was essentially the best of the best of the Federation. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that the Federation is perfect. And if you're on a starship... A zillion miles away where you can't <laughs> swim home, you have a tendency to solve your problems more amicably than simply <laughs> through force or kicking the table over and walking away. Mm-hmm. You know, so they you don't have enough way to to walk away too. So they, yeah. So so of course it was idyllic and utopian mm-hmm. because it had to be because they're on a starship way right. far away from home. You know, and now when we get back and we see the politics, which played into the series many times in the past, we saw mm-hmm. rogue characters that were, you know, uh, anathema to, to the characters that we were seeing. You mm-hmm. know, uh, Admiral Pressman, you know, uh, the, the guy that was developing the, the, the phasing cloak. Mm-hmm. But, right. but he wasn't doing that in a vacuum. He had to have approval from higher ups along the chain of command. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he wasn't exactly a rogue actor. He was just doing something that was illegal with the sanction of his government far away and in secret from all the other <laughs> utopic starship, utopian starships out there. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, I feel like it's more like we're seeing this society more in depth mm-hmm. than somebody threw a wrench in the, perf- the vision of the perfect society. Mm-hmm. You know, because the perfect society isn't one that doesn't have problems. It's the society that figures out how to solve their problems mm-hmm. without being dicks about it <laughs> yep you know so and not everyone comes to the same system of government or, or the same cultural norms when they come to that kind of peaceful state 
which I thought kind of played into, and this is going to seem like a, you know, may, this may be a left turn, but it just mm-hmm. like Deanna's interactions with Soji mm-hmm. summed up very much in her first discussion with Picard after interacting with Soji. Yep. Because she can, you know, she can sense emotions and to a mm-hmm. certain extent she can actually read thoughts mm-hmm. or at the least, at the very least read motivations. She can yeah. sense emotions directly. So there's no subterfuge with her. You can't tell her, you know, why are you angry? I'm not angry. Yeah, you're angry. Mm-hmm. I know you're angry. Now let's talk about why, you know, yeah. and in her case, it's like she sees emotional reaction, mm-hmm. but she can't sense it. Mm-hmm. So, but that doesn't mean that the emotional reaction is not validated just because she can't sense it. Right, right. And as a counselor, as someone who has worked with with people for many years... Including she, data. She, including data, yeah. She, you know, can read the outward signs without needing the inner empathy uh, and respond in a way a counselor would respond. There was definitely, when she was talking to Soji, her response showed empathy to Soji, mm-hmm. like outwardly showed empathy. Even as Soji was getting angry, uh, Deanna showed the response that you would expect a counselor to respond, which is listening intently um, and you know responding with her. Mm-hmm. You know, being with her on that emotional path that she was going on. You know, which of course Picard then steps in and and, and <laughs> turns grumpy old man for a second and then gets <laughs> sharply rebuked. Yes, I would say sharply for sure. I love the From both sides of the equation. Ah, so. definitely. <laughs> but what, what All I had to do was tell her to come to dinner. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also Riker's whole response there, too. You know, it was just like, you know, hey, you know, she's nice, she's smart, she can read 300 pages in 20 in two minutes and learn it all, and I recognize that head tick. Mm-hmm. And I noticed it, too, the first time we saw it. The first she did the that, tilt. She did the data head tick. The Whenever he would get flummoxed by something or mm-hmm. caught by surprise or, or, you know, he would, you know, fascinating. And he, mm-hmm. he'd have that tick. Yeah. And uh, she's got it. So it was part of Brent's original performance mm-hmm. as Data that has become like a canon part of Data's personality, I yeah. guess, for lack of a better term. There. Any, anything built on his... And I think the thing is, is I think the synths that we saw in the attack had the same response too, though. Mm. So they were they were developed, you know, from apparently a seed kernel sort of a programming aspect of Data. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or whatever was whatever data left in in a, a B four because mm-hmm. we know they still had his parts they just couldn't get him to work right we know data downloaded his neural net but they couldn't get it to access right because the android wasn't advanced enough mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now we've got androids that are way more advanced apparently like they took the Sung type android and ran with it to literally to the point of creating you know organic androids I mean mm. they're you know, they have mucus. They have they mucus. Have mucus. They have tears. Tears. Yeah. You know, um, Kester's pointing that out. It's so interesting to see her and Soji react on that because you know Soji's just learning all this stuff. She doesn't even know who Data is or anything about him, but learns very quickly that all he really wanted to do was be more human. Mm-hmm. I don't so I, th- I think that touched Soji in some way. 
Well, that and also, you know, ultimately, like like the discussion they're having later when, you know, Picard realizes he needs to talk to her. But the first things he does is lays down the, the parameters that Data usually used as a way to judge emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't trust her feelings anymore, but she has feelings. Like, yeah. that was part of, I feel like, was, was what was established throughout this thing is... right. Her emotional reactions, even though apparently if somebody has the ability, if they've got the kill switch, they, you know, and when I say kill switch, I don't mean the switch that turns her off. I mean the switch that turns her into a killing machine. Yeah. If they've got that switch and they have the ability to just turn her into something. I mean, well, we've seen that happen with Data before. Mm -hmm. Where Data gets overridden by some piece of his programming. Mm -hmm. And they just accepted it. At no point were they ever like, we might have a ticking time bomb here. They were like, that's just data. We've got it. We'll look into it and we'll fix it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that sort of thing. But in her case, her emotional reactions are still real. Mm-hmm. Even if everything that she thinks they're based on aren't. Right. The reactions are still real. So she might, she doesn't trust them and she has all the really good reasons to not trust them. So when Picard is like, you know, Sense the sense the rhythm of my heartbeat. Hear the timbre of my voice. See, look at the dilation in my pupils. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you? Because those were the indicators that Data used, right, to detect subref, subref, subterfuge. I can't pronounce <laughs> that word right. Subterf, you know, people who were trying to fool you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, you, you, the the your heart rate and your heart rate and skin conductivity indicates that you are nervous (laughs) you couldn't hide it from him right and they can't hide it from her Mm -hmm. but she has to be able to tap that ability yeah and right now she's being overridden by her emotional responses Mm -hmm. her lack of trust her sense of betrayal her Mm -hmm. you know sense of reality so i I found that to be a nice touch i found that to be super poignant I, I have to say, just going back, it was just great to see Jonathan Frakes on that side of the camera uh, again, and uh, Marina Sirtis, Marina Sirtis in that role again as Deanna, mm-hmm. um, and they haven't lost the chemistry that they had, you know, in the TV series from before. Uh, they they pretty much just jumped right back into those characters. It was great. But even more than that, uh, Kestra is played by a, a actress called um, Lulu Wilson, and I have to say she's a good addition to this Star Trek acting family. Um, she did. I don't know how much Lulu herself knows about the characters that are her, are her parents in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But she did this wonderful job of reflecting the traits that we'd expect from someone who's a child of Will and Deanna. <laughs> because she was the curious explorer that Will has always been, mm-hmm. you know, um, and super sharp and smart and a little bit scheming. And, uh,. <laughs> But also uh, empathetic, but empathetic and, yes. and observant, like her mother. Very observant and wanting to um, be friends and, and counsel to Soji um, the way we would expect Deanna to be. So 
Um, just really this this wonderful blend of, of those personalities of those characters. Uh, the, their best traits, even. So I, I hope we see Kestra again. <laughs> she, she's wonderful. Um, we do find out a little bit more about Thad, who is the older child. Um, and that, I think, is where we get a lot of reveal of what's been going on with Will and Deanna all these years. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Thad was, would have been 18, I think, is what yeah, she, she said. Yeah, she said that he would have been 18. Mm. And, um, but they, did, they didn't, did, did they ever give a specific time as for what happened, like when what happened to him happened to him? Um, I get the impression it's not been, but maybe, maybe a few years, three or four years. I don't know. Kestra is still very much attached to him and his history. But we also get the impression that he did not live long. Like, Mm -hmm. he would have been 18, but, but we get the impression he did not exactly make it Mm. into his adolescence. Mm. based on what we saw you know like he was writing books and making up artificial languages at the age of five yeah and that's really the last we hear of what he was doing yeah so we we don't know exactly year you know how long he made it past that but we know it's been how many years since the synth ban 14 it's been 14 years since the synth ban uh and he had a rare but very curable disease that was silicone, a silicone-based virus, which I think is something that was brought up in the in the Next Generation. Okay, it was something that they discovered during the the course of the Next Generation mm-hmm. because the treatment was data. Yeah, it, I remember I'd have that. To, I'd have to go back and do you know I'd have to do some cross-referencing research on that one. Data but. had to process whatever was needed to to produce the cure. Right, it had to be run through a positronic net. Mm-hmm. Which don't exist anymore because of the synth the ban. The synth ban. That was the other thing about this when I was thinking about um, mm-hmm. when I was thinking about the whole idea of the utopian starship versus the supposed but not quite so utopian Federation. Mm-hmm. Is that if that had happened on the starship, even if synths you know were banned, they probably still would have done it. Their morality would not let them have the ability to save somebody and not do it. Just because it was illegal, right? Um, that was one of those. That was one of those things that popped up in the course of the next generation that I think a lot of people have forgotten. Mm. Is there were a lot of times where, okay, maybe not the prime directive, but they broke, they violated a few Starfleet ordinances. Oh, a few times. <laughs> a few times yeah. in the course of their missions, mm-hmm. because I, there are websites that keep count of that. <laughs> Because that's kind of the whole point. You know, once again, if you're this little bubble of the Federation, Mm -hmm. 50,000 light years from home, you don't have time to wait for approval from the boss back on Earth to do something, to get Mm -hmm. it done. Right. You have to make those judgment calls. And that's what made Picard a good captain, Mm -hmm. was the ability to mediate between morality and legality. Mm -hmm. But now they're back in the Federation and... Now things are illegal, and now mm-hmm. things don't work anymore. You know, it's just like the whole yeah. Romulan ale thing. You know, Romulan ale is illegal, but we still carry it on the starship. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, so I, I felt like that element of it kind of played in was just sort of the you know when we were out there in the old days, we could have we could have fixed this easily, mm-hmm. but we're not back there in the old days anymore. Right. And 
And they came to Nepenthe specifically because there's regenerative powers in the soil and the planet itself. Mm-hmm. But by the time they settled there, it was too late for Thad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there was, you know, we don't get any details about the nature of the illness, like uh, what form the illness took or what kind of treatment he was, they tried to provide to him uh, outside of being able to cure him. So we don't, we don't get a sense of what his life or his uh, death was like. Mm-hmm. But we, we get a lot of sense that uh, it was a very difficult thing for Will and Deanna to go through, as well as Kestra, um, to be in a situation where this was a very curable thing, but because law being what it was, it was, you know, there was no hope. And, uh, right, like like the... They have which, a reason to be angry. <laughs> which is interesting in the, uh, like, in, in, in the modern analogy comparison sort of thing that Star Trek always, you know, has a long history of doing. Yeah. You know, kind of like in the, uh, well, like the ongoing debate of uh, cannabis as a treatment for epilepsy mm-hmm. and seizures and arthritis and other things, but people who can't get that treatment because it's illegal. Right. And, yeah. you know, well, you, well, well, what if we did more research? Well, we can't let you do the research because it's illegal. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like... It's a cycle. But, yeah, it's a cycle of power and control in a weird mm-hmm. way, but also the the denial of scientific inquiry due to ignorance and fear. Yeah. Uh, Rios and his wonderful... Um, Clever. I, I I like Rios because he's just this raw, I love to fly kind of guy. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's a expert captain. Um, he's also, you know, a wonderful tactician. Um, clearly, uh, just very talented. So he thinks fast. And when he detects that Narek's on his tail, he attempts to outmaneuver him and... Uh, stops and waits for him to overshoot him. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, not knowing that there's a tracker on his ship. And that that's when we see Gerardi showing that as signs of not wanting to go to Nepenthe. Um, and I, I don't know her intentions here. I got the sense that maybe she knew that she was the tracker. Well, she knows she's the tracker. And just wanted to throw Narek off the trail. Um, but it could very well be, uh, something different. Maybe she was just intimidated and not yeah, wanting to proceed. I Did you get a sense that she was trying to backtrack on the agreement she made, uh, and throw them off the trail? I think so. Well, I mean, just the idea that she, you know, they found Maddox. Mm-hmm. She offed Maddox mm-hmm. based on the visions that she had seen, but she's a research scientist. She's mm-hmm. not a tactician. She's not a Starfleet officer. It's her first time off planet. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's freaking out. And she's been, yeah, three weeks trapped in a Winnebago with a bunch of crazy people. And <laughs> people have shot at them. And, you know, that's a whole lot to absorb. So she could just mm-hmm. be suffering from post-traumatic stress at this mm-hmm. point And yeah. doesn't have a plan. Like, her mm-hmm. plan was to find Maddox. Yeah. That was it. Everything after that is improv. <laughs> and 
she's not trained for it. She's not built for it. And mm. she doesn't want to be there. And, yeah. you know, which we see in her in. Uh, and plus, we know that before she saw the vision, because when she was talking to Picard and talking about wanting to get off planet and wanting to find the synth and everything, that was before she was shown the vision. Yeah. Yeah. Now she's been shown the vision. So you can see how that would flip somebody's opinion very quickly. Yes. So like Rios is saying, you know, when when we were talking to you before, you were all excited. Now you don't want to be part of it. Well, mm-hmm. she can't tell him why. Yeah. She can't explain to him. Well, it's because this Romulan spy, who I think actually might be a Vulcan, but she's working for the Romulans, actually <laughs> showed me this vision of what's going to happen in the future if the synths and that, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I just want to be as far on the other side of the galaxy from them as I can be. Yeah, I couldn't quite tell if she's freaking out because she just doesn't want to be there when everything goes sideways or if she's freaking out just because she, she wants things to continue going sideways and she doesn't want to be you know well i think no because of the vision i mean she killed her Mm -hmm. lover so so she obviously believes it's true she believes it enough to kill somebody that she loves for that's true that's true which i found was an interesting counterpoint to narek who fell in love with somebody so he could deceive them Mm-hmm. And I think and it's when, clear that he's still attached to her. He, it's clear that he still loves her, but mm-hmm. he knows what he had to do, and yeah. that was always the job, which just makes him that much more psychotic. Mm-hmm. But which, before we go more into Ger- what's happening with Gerardi, I, I have to ask because this is what this crossed my mind. Just seeing the pure passion that Narek uh, showed. In just piloting his own ship called the Snakehead, or a Snakehead, that's the class of ship. Well, you know, uh, I think that's probably like like the Romulans. You know, uh, I'm trying to think what what do they what would you call certain ships or or you know like okay, kind of like with us, like like we have the F twenty two Raptor. Mm-hmm. We call it the Raptor. Yeah. Right. The, the Soviets have, like, the, uh, what is it, the Su-37 Sukhoi. Mm. And I think we I think NATO calls it the flanker. Mm. The Russians don't call it the flanker, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> we call it the flanker. Right. Or, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, for the Romulans, it's probably got an entirely different designation. <laughs> right. But to the Federation, they call them snakeheads because it looks kind of like a snake's head. You know, Mm -hmm. very creative naming contrivances. Plus it has massive firepower, apparently, for its size. Right. So it's like, you know, like like we call, you know, the the Defiant class ship, the Defiant class escort was named the Defiant. Mm -hmm. You know, the first one was the Defiant, and then you had the Valiant, and then Mm -hmm. the San Paolo, and, you know, a couple of other ones. But, you know, for all we know... The 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 mom the maquis might call him the honey badger. <laughs> honey badger. You know, because it looks kind of like a badger. It does. It yeah, does. It looks like a bit. badger. You know, it's got way bigger teeth and claws than it should have, and it just don't care. You know, uh, it's yeah. a, mm-hmm. so so. There's that. You know, there's the snakeheads. Yeah, uh, but anyway, I was thinking, just looking at his passion. One thing that crossed my mind was the question of. Is he trying to get to Soji first because he wants to protect her in some way? Or is he trying to just do the mission that was given to him? I think he's trying to do the mission that was given to him. He's got to kill her, like, to stop. You know, like, 
I don't know. It seems like like part of his mission was to kill her. Right. And, and he, he knew failed that, that from the beginning. And he failed that. But he was trying to get the information before the killing. Right. Now they've got the information, but maybe they haven't found the planet yet. Mm-hmm. So either he feels like he still needs her, or he needs to, since he hasn't, they haven't got the location for the planet yet, so the next best thing is to follow them to find her. Right. Which will either lead him to the planet, because now that she knows, he can assume that they're looking for it. Mm-hmm. So that it's either find her to locate the planet. Mm-hmm. And then he can get two birds with one stone or find her and kill her anyway and wait for him to find the planet. Mm-hmm. Either way, she's a loose end. Mm-hmm. And for him at this moment, she's the only loose end he can tie up in any sort of expedient way. Yeah, that's true. You know, he can't speed up the finding of the planet except by finding her. Mm-hmm. And he's got to find her to kill her and he needs to kill her. So, you know, it's, that's, that's why he's chasing her. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like. Well, Gerardi throws him off. She, after getting uh, some delicious replicator-created red velvet cake uh, from, uh, thanks to Rafi's uh, uh, TLC and and counseling, uh, I guess, just trying to calm her down. Well, and I think that was part of it, too, is I think Rafi recognized, you know, misconstrued her symptoms. Mm Mm-hmm. As being, freaking out. as being purely anxious due to space travel. Yeah, yeah. But but then with the chaos of being pursued by Narek, um, they lose track of what's going on with her. And when she's alone, she synthesizes a, an injection of uh, a neurotoxin, I guess. <laughs> well, something that can be neurotoxic can depending be. on species and dosage. Yeah, according to the warning. Um, and she ODs to wipe out the tracking signal. Yeah. Essentially. So the tracking signal is somehow based on her consciousness. Well, or it just might, well, it might be purely chemical. Mm. I mean, it might be purely chemical and, and mm-hmm. rendering the chemical inert changes its radiological profile. And causes her to go into a coma. Right. As a, as a result of the toxic effects of the drug. Mm-hmm. So Rios is, is concerned, uh... Certainly, but then we also see that this is successful because Narek loses the signal and then curses at his controls and has no idea what to do. Um, mm-hmm. So so we'll see how that works itself out. That, that's going to be interesting to see what happens next in that pursuit. But clearly they make it to Nepenthe because, uh, you know, by the end of the episode, we see Picard and Soji leaving the planet. Some other really neat moments, I thought. Uh, the the first time Soji has food that isn't created by a replicator, <laughs> she bites into the tomato, um, and the, and she says, real is so much better. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, you, you and I are not big tomato fans, not something that we would probably do ourselves, but... Uh... <laughs> I just imagine it as a Granny Smith apple. There you go. <laughs> I love those. They're good. Yeah. But that, and then of course, uh, Ninja Nun, uh, apparently. Elnor. Elnor, apparently finding, uh, that's the thing I'm wondering though, like he found it. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't given to him, he found it under the console. Yeah. The, uh, 
Fenris the, SOS. Yep. You Once know, he activa- activates it, we see Fenris SOS uh, activated. Yeah. So. Was that Pic- the thing she gave Picard or was that? That's what I'm saying. We don't know where it came from. And he was hit with Hugh. It could have been something that Hugh had. It could have been something that Hugh had. It yeah. could have been something that somebody else had. We don't know. That's what I mean. Is it is we don't know exactly where that came from. Yeah, yeah. But it but it definitely seems like he found it. Mm-hmm. Although I did notice something weird. The clasp that was holding it to the chain looked like an infinity symbol. Oh. A figure eight, like an infinity symbol. Uh huh. Um, a Mobius strip, sort of a thing. So that whether that ties into it or not, I don't know. But I mean, that would explain. The previews for the next episode where we see more of Seven again. Yeah. Given that that's her job and she's apparently pretty good at it. <laughs> Quite good at it. You know, and I, I guess that would have been, what, the fade to black moment for the episode? Or, mm-hmm. or was it or was it Picard and Soji beaming out? Um, I think it was Picard and Soji. I think it ended on, on their note there. Well, that and I find it interesting, too, about he's talking about how much baggage they're carrying. Mm-hmm. Like his new crew carrying this baggage and... Referring to them as Motley. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, but once again, I just, ah, this, this episode just made my, my little heart happy with all the the old crew interactions. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, of course, the new character interactions as well with Kestra. I thought that was a, she was a delight. And she made that connection with Soji and gave her her broken compass mm-hmm. <laughs> to take with her. Well, also, that's one of the other things I wonder, too, is that the, they said that Thad grew up on starships. Mm, yeah. They didn't say whether or not Kestra had. Right. But they did say that Thad and Kestra were apparently closely bonded yeah. as siblings. Yeah. But that might have been after they'd already settled on the planet in the hopes of healing him. Possibly. You know, but he obviously, he grew up on starships, so we mm-hmm. know that Riker was captain for a while at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have put Kester probably in the, I don't know, early teens? 13, 14. Yeah, 13 or 14, mm-hmm. which means that she would have been born after the, the synth uprising. Mm-hmm. And thus, after the cure for her brother was no longer possible. Right. He would have been 18, so he would have been four. Mm-hmm. So At the about... time of the synth uprising? Okay. So that would put them... So he would have been roughly five years older than her? Mm, yeah. Ish? If if our calculation or if our guess is correct as to her age. Mm-hmm. So it's like if she grew up mostly on that planet, um, and given that it has three moons, mm-hmm. you know, there's no telling what the magnetic fields on that planet are, are like. So it may not be that the compass doesn't work. It just doesn't work there. Exactly. Right. <laughs> like, you right. know, you get to a planet that's got a single, like a, <laughs> a, a dipole magnetic field, and suddenly you know which way north is. Right. Well, I mean, it, we, it did show, like, three moons in the sky yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, who knows what kind of forces are acting on that compass for sure. Yeah. And we saw the previews. We know Seven is back. We see Romulans. It looks like Kuat as well, uh, you know, going into some fighting. You know, it's just uh, the Romulans could very well justify killing Picard simply because every time he gets involved in something Romulan, he starts <laughs> he starts a war. <laughs> he starts a battle. <laughs> he stirs the pot. Well, yes. I mean, no, he's managed to... 
Well, that and I think I, I wonder too is uh, you know Nero obviously had issues with the Federation and their attempts to save Romulus. Yeah. Other Romulans apparently, you know, like the ones on uh, well, I can't remember the name of the planet now where they picked up. Uh, why am I having the hardest time with his name? El Elnor. Elnor. <laughs> yeah. Think he he kind of looks like Elrond, but he's not Elrond. <laughs> That's probably why I'm having a hard time with it. But Elnor. Uh huh. Um, the planet they picked up him up on, you know, obviously a lot of those people had some resentment towards Picard. Yeah. Even though Picard's whole purpose was trying to save them. Mm-hmm. And. Um, yeah, it's like every time he gets involved, no matter what his intentions are... Somebody's got a reason to beef with somebody, him about it. Somebody, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he does have a uh, a habit of, of seeding uh, conflict, <laughs> whether he intends to or not. <laughs> usually doesn't intend to, usually finds a way. The, ah, the old Picard arrogance. Like when, <laughs> when Riker dropped that one on him, I was mm -hmm. like... Well, grown up. Oh, our, yeah. our little William is grown up now. Uh, well, in the uh, I did get a chance to see Ready Room before we recorded this, and in the interviews, um, uh, the discussion did come out of uh, of this being, you know, it, it, in the past it was always Picard that was the the knowledgeable figure who had control, and everyone looked to him for guidance. But in this particular situation, he's the one who's not in control and needs the guidance. Mm -hmm. uh, and Will and Deanna actually teach him how to be a parent, essentially, because he's never been a parent well, before. He's never liked kids. That's the other thing. He's yeah. never liked kids. He's never been comfortable with children. But here he has Soji, who is three years old, with... Uh, I guess kind of like an emotional maturity that's more akin to a teenager, uh, mm -hmm. not unlike Kestra, um, and and he needs the ability to deal with that. Well, and it's very you <laughs> he know, can't just captain it out. <laughs> in a lot of ways, like Deanna was very right about that. Was that the, yeah. he is dealing with essentially a teenager, and I, yeah. I think that probably comes both from her looking at the emotional reactions mm -hmm. and just comparing them. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, most adults don't act this way. Most teenagers do. You know, mm -hmm. the whys, the hows, the wham, me, me, me's. The, right. you know. But it's much more than a child. She's not acting like a child either. Well, but also, yeah, she's not three years old in that concept. But right. because, but to look at adolescence, at least mm -hmm. in human, at least in human children. <laughs> Humans. You know. It's um, not profitable. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it's not profitable. Adolescence is not profitable. But the, uh, um, you're... Coming out of lower school systems into higher school systems mm -hmm. where, you know, and and distinctions and class and, and status start becoming much more important. Identity as Identity an individual. At the same time that, you know, your body is changing and your mind is changing. Mm -hmm. I mean, your body changing produces changes in the mind, you know, mm -hmm. just like... You know, before it used to be like, yeah, we use friends, we hang on, we jump rope. And then you hit this certain point and all of a sudden it's like, my goodness, I feel like I want to shag some of these people. <laughs> you know, how do I deal with that? How do I make them want to shag me? You know, it's like, so your body's changing, your mind is changing. Mm -hmm. And as a result, your personality comes into question. And there's mm -hmm. a whole lot of, of uncertainty involved in that. Who and, am I? Right. And Soji is right there. Mm -hmm. She has been just 
you know, dipped right in it. Yep. And to, to go from knowing who she is and what she is and what she's doing and what she wants and where her life is going and suddenly to be thrust into this totally wild situation, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, but I don't want to. Well, you still got to. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> because, like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like it's hard to explain it, but well, it's there. Well, she's also got that rebellious thing too. Like, uh, so as soon as, because she, she punched heard... her way through the floor of a Borg cube. I mean, <laughs> well, no, I was yeah. thinking in an emotional sense that she's, you know, rejecting all this information that's been fed to her um naturally you know some of that is just a natural rejection of something that is doesn't seem right but also her actual just response to it mm-hmm. has a teenager vibe to it mm-hmm. uh, for sure well because it's not like she looks all that old anyway mm-hmm. you know and <clears throat> apparently i mean you look at wesley wesley was you know a, a prodigy of math and science but he was still in high school essentially mm-hmm. If such a thing existed, you know, on the starship, which apparently it does. Well, at least certain schools still existed on the starship, so. Well, and, you know, we opened the series with Dosh being in a situation where she was getting ready to start another level of schooling. At the Daystrom Institute, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, that'd be like MIT. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So uh, we could think of them as being, you know, college entrants. Uh, or, you know, so they're essentially entering still, their master's programs or whatever. Yeah, so they're essentially still teenagers, or at the very least, or early, early 20s, 20s at yeah. the most, you know? I mean, so, and they might just be those gifted students that were, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, graduated high school at 15 and got accepted into a college at 16 and got yeah. their master's degree by the time they were 21, you mm-hmm. know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are android. <laughs> they, <laughs> yes. they are, they are. Well, that's one of the things I enjoyed too was the, the the concept of you know like can you can you do sixteen quadrillion calculations per second? I don't mm. think so. Can you run really fast and jump really far and tear people in half? I yeah, it turns out can. I can. Yeah, she yeah. just discovered I just that found she out has. I can do that. She can do that, and now we also know she can memorize a three three hundred page book and. Not just memorize the book, but absorb the absorb knowledge. Absorb the knowledge from a 300-page book and... Like, you know, it'd be one how, thing to A be couple able, of minutes? What was it? Like, two minutes. Two minutes, yeah. Like, it'd be, which was something we'd seen Data do. Yeah. But, it, you know, but, but Data could read the book and recite the book. Mm-hmm. He couldn't necessarily grasp the concepts. All right. She was making sentences out of what she read. You know, she... Yeah. She certainly grasped the concepts mm-hmm. of home, of wanting to create your own home yeah so she she has an emotional she has a level of emotional understanding that data did not mm-hmm. which emotional understanding does have a tendency to create connections that logic alone can't make mm-hmm. um that that human reasoning that very reason that my job which is editing um written content can't really be done by a computer uh, a human really needs to read it and determine, can another human effectively get the message from what's being written here? Computers can only go so far in telling us whether or not that's a, a good piece of written work. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I, I was trying to think if there's anything else we haven't talked about on this episode. There's so much 
uh, going on in this episode. It's so good. I, you know, I keep saying, oh, this is my favorite so far. This is my favorite so far. This is definitely <laughs> my favorite so far. Uh, although it's really close um, to the one where they were uh, with Seven. And, and that mission was, was really good, too. So, oh, I don't know. I, I shouldn't pick favorites. I should just say this whole season is a favorite. It's it's amazing. Well, and definitely wait till the last one because we don't know. You know, they might pull a they might pull a hot fuzz on us and just you know, mm. no the uh, the the Shakespeare scene in Hot Fuzz, mm. where <laughs> where they pop out with the musical number at the end of <laughs> yes. you know they might yeah. just they might just do something really 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 bad and skunk the whole thing. But mm. uh, I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, and I have to wonder how they're they're planning to, <coughs> to end this season. Uh, really don't know kind of where where they're seeing the stopping point being because it, it'll clearly be cliffhangery. Yeah, I was gonna say. I wonder if they're gonna give us a cliffhanger in that mm-hmm. old Star Trek sort of. You know they will. That that Star Trek way. You know they will, of course. Uh, but I I'm just you know I can't even begin to speculate what it is until I know how far they're going to get um, on this journey and it's really hard to know exactly what the journey is right now because we found Soji. We found Bruce Maddox. Then we found Soji. What's the mission at this point? For him, for Picard to protect her. Just to protect her. Keep her from being... To keep her safe. That was his mission. Okay. And so for him, at the moment, that means finding out who's trying to kill her and why. Mm Mm-hmm. And... That means finding her home world, since that's what they're looking for. Yeah, yeah. And so, but but ultimately, that's Picard's new purpose in life is to mm. protect her. Yeah, and he knows, you know, he's already face to face with his mortality because of what's going on in his brain. So I think he's resigned to that being his final mission uh, in life is just protect her. It seems that way, anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, he seems resolved that if that is the last thing he has to do, that that will be his life. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I I like the fact that he was honest with Soji and that it wasn't just because Data he felt like he owed Data, who sacrificed himself to save Picard and the ship, um, but he also f- just was uh, languishing. Well, and because it seemed like Picard, um, you know, because I mean, this is a man who's been stabbed through the heart, as they reminded us of in this episode. Oh, yes. Was that, you know, he's got an (laughs) artificial heart. Better aim for my head. (laughs) Because he's, you know. Because my heart is, what what is it made of? He got stabbed through, uh, I can't remember what they said, if it was quadranium or duranium shell. I can't remember what what they said it was. But the, uh, you know, he got, in his youth, being arrogant and stupid, he got stabbed through the heart. Uh-huh. And modern technology saved him, and he made a point to try to make his life worth something. Mm-hmm. And then he was going to, essentially, he was going to sacrifice himself to save the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And Data kind of stole his thunder. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And from that moment on, he's just been living with that sacrifice. <clears throat> That somebody else died in his place. Mm-hmm. So. Well, for Data, too, that was probably the most human he had ever felt. 
mm-hmm. it's that ability to make the choice of I will sacrifice myself for someone else. Mm-hmm. Well, but also in a weird way, it was the most logical thing mm-hmm. in that he, you know, there was nobody else who could have made it over to the ship to back up Picard. Right. And the whole reason they sent him over there was because Picard might need some help. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it turns out that in the fight, no, Picard handles himself okay. Essentially kills himself. Mm-hmm. Stabs his younger, foolish self through the heart. Mm-hmm. Like, this character arc there is very, mm-hmm. you know, what would, you know, tying back to the Picard clone in Nemesis mm-hmm. is uh, the same DNA, but experience is what made somebody different. Mm. And now you have Soji, who has very much seems to have Data's quote-unquote DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, but her life is very different as a result of her experiences. And just the concept that, uh, you know, Picard had resigned himself to die. Data was there. Data could have just transported out and let Picard take the shot. Mm. But that wasn't Data. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like in that moment, he did become probably the most human that he ever was. Mm -hmm. Which still kind of ties into the whole, why why are you trying to be more human? Mm -hmm. And he's like... You know, when when you know that you never can be. And he's like, because the effort yields its own rewards. Mm, yep. Yeah. So, that was that, you know. Always enjoyed the writing of Data's characters in the TV and films. They gave him a lot of great dialogue. Well, and when you've got a character like that, it's very easy to... It'd be a, a great thing for an actor, I mean, apart from the whole makeup job. Mm-hmm. But like, oh, Fistful of Data's is still one of my favorites. <laughs> where Data ends up playing all the characters on the holodeck <laughs> by the end of the... Yes. Senor so Frank! <laughs> Tossing him the gun off the roof, you know. Just... That's where we saw Brent as, at his best. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Multiple characters played by the same actor in the same scene. Oh, yeah. absolutely. So, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, any chance you think... Um, the Romulans would have found something in the flotsam of that explosion at the end of Nemesis. Maybe. I mean, although Data was right next to the thing when it blew, but that hasn't stopped people from (laughs) From necessarily (laughs) from coming back before. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. Maybe they found something that would have, but, but then, you know, who knows? Maybe it was the Romulans that are developing, but. Yeah, I don't know. We don't know. Multiple factions. Well, I mean, the Jatvash um, are the super secret on top of the secret on top of the secret, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, we already know that there are factions of, of Romulans that have different philosophies and, um, and e- easy for them to come in conflict with each other. Yeah, the Romulans are obviously not a united people anymore, given that they're scattered across multiple planets and mm-hmm. and don't have a home world anymore. And you know, well, and like the the when they picked up uh, Elrond, Elnor, Elnor. See, that's see, what I see. That's see, why no, my brain my brain can't <laughs> say the word without immediately defaulting. Elnor, Elnor. When they picked up Elnor, the planet that he was on, you know, they did, it didn't seem like they really even had a functioning spaceport. Right. Or if they did, it was just a place for supplies and sundry. You know, it wasn't mm. it wasn't like everybody was participating in off-world commerce. commerce. Yeah. They were just resettled on this planet and now they don't have a any ships. Colony. 
Yeah. You know, that's why the guy with the Romulan warbird was sort of the warlord there. was because mm-hmm. he was the one guy with a ship that had any guns on it. Yeah. Even if it was a hundred-year-old ship. And they had a second-hand shield system. And, yeah, so... Yeah. You know, and, and I, so that's where this, the, the utopian... The, the utopian federation ideal kind mm-hmm. of comes into... It's like, you know, you shine enough light in the dark enough corners and you find some cobwebs. Like, mm-hmm. there's, you know... you're. The prettiest room has still got dust on the floor. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a... Uh, I don't know. I like it. I personally I like it. I feel like the Federation is growing as a character in this, even mm-hmm. beyond, you know... In much the same way that the ship was a character in The Next Generation. Well, mm-hmm. in, in all the series. The, the ship itself was a character mm-hmm. in the narrative. And yeah. in this, we don't have a ship. Mm-hmm. Necessarily. I mean, we have a ship, but it's... It's not been characterized nearly mm-hmm. as much anymore. We see that so in far. Discovery, Star Trek Discovery. The ship is a character into itself. Mm-hmm. Quite. Uh, not necessarily sentient, but... Mm-hmm. But because of its unique aspects, you know, and, and the fact that the, the propulsion system is tied to, you know, some type of consciousness... Uh, yeah, it it becomes its own personality. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. Next, you know, we get more seven next week. Yeah, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if seven's bringing some of this co-op uh, malot with her in in the process. I don't know. We because we see what looks like the co-op malot um, in some of the previews, but are they joining the fight or are we just seeing them? Doing their own thing. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but we will definitely see more... Well, now, didn't... Romulan action. And and we'll get to meet more of the Fenris Rangers. Yeah, didn't Elnor's teacher say that some of their people were working with the Fenris Rangers? Yeah, uh, he did. Yeah, you're right. So, very good chance that we see both groups coming yeah. Well, that and the idea, too, that, that, you know, Starfleet is stretched thin enough and their territories are dispersed enough that they can't necessarily keep the peace in every outlying system. Mm-hmm. So. Well, they're in Romulan space at this point, right? Yeah. And yeah. so... Federation doesn't have jurisdiction. Yeah. Which is exactly how you get gangs. <laughs> no, I mean, traditionally speaking, most of the time, gangs typically did not start off as purely criminal enterprises, mm-hmm. they start off as a way to meet people's basic needs in mm-hmm. tight situations. Yeah. If you've got people who don't go to the police because the police are just as likely to beat them and shoot them and arrest them, mm-hmm. then they don't have any recourse for law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So the gangs tend to prop up from that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when a disparaged population is cut off from supply lines they still have to eat they still need to get food they have to uh, oftentimes they have to turn to the black market to do that it still exists and there's mm-hmm. the gangs step in to fill that void mm-hmm. and it's only after the society starts becoming more established that the gangs start becoming more criminal mm-hmm. but in many ways a lot of gangs often just start out as community action groups mm-hmm. meant because their basic needs aren't being met by the governments that are overseeing them Mm-hmm. So, the Fenris Rangers and the Kuat Malat are kind of examples of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. You you come up with your own organizations when there's no other organization to serve that need. Yep. Yeah. And uh, rest in peace, Hugh. 
who passed away in the episode. At least we think he did. We're pretty sure he did. Uh, well, the the interview with Jonathan Del Arco that I saw suggested that that was that was his end. So. That was the case. Yeah. Um, which I thought he did a fabulous job coming back as Hugh, and um, you know he is he's done a whole lot since his first appearance as Hugh years and years ago, um, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's a Latino actor and a uh, gay rights activist, and um, he's been in a lot of pr- various television productions. And uh, and to circle back and then take on that role of Hugh, which was so early in his career, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> back uh, in his, uh, I guess, early 20s at that point, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he did an amazing job showing the evolution of an ex-Borg just learning, you know, to walk again, <laughs> essentially, mm-hmm. to, yeah, having agency um, and being essentially the commander of this uh, effort to um, reclaim the technology as well as to bring these Borgs back into an existence of their own as individuals again. Mm-hmm. To, and, and it's just, yeah. I, I really enjoyed the fact that they, they had him as a character in this. I don't think there's, they couldn't, I don't think it would have been as effective to bring on someone that the fans weren't already familiar with in that same role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for existing fans, it meant more to have an, a character that we were already familiar with. And for people who weren't fans before, you know, you get to know really quick who this person is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for existing fans, it just made that deeper connection. So mm-hmm. uh, I kind of hate to see him go. Maybe we will see something of him in some form or fashion. Uh, moving forward, I don't know, but uh, at this point, it does seem that he has uh, expired, as well as many of the XBs. Uh, but on a positive note, we've got next week, and uh, looking forward to that. So uh, we will be back next week and doing this again. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Gen X Replays After the Show podcast. Look for another episode coming this week with Eric Horowitz returning to talk Episode 2 of Season 7 in Star Wars The Clone Wars. And next week, Hoot and I will be back to talk Episode 8 of Star Trek Picard. Currently, we host on Anchor.fm and aggregate to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, let others know where to find us so we can keep boosting the signal on this podcast. On the socials, you can follow me on Twitter at JediJakori and on YouTube at Jacori. That's J-I-C-O-R-I. Until next episode, be safe out there.